Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. My paternal grandmother was a stickler for grammar, and I can't tell you how many times as a kid I said something like, Grandma, can I go outside? Only to hear in response, well, I don't know. Can you? Because she was trying to teach me that that was the wrong word to use, that I should be saying something to the effect of, Grandma, may I go outside? Because the word can really is speaking to ability. Do you have the ability to do something? And yes, I had the ability to go outside, but may was more about, well, the permission. Could I go outside? Well, today we want to look at somebody telling Jesus and really using the word with Jesus can, if you can to Jesus. And remember, can, that's talking about ability. Hey, Jesus, if you have the ability. Well, here's the thing we want to see today. Jesus can, and there's no ifs about it. And we want to look now at Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. So here, Jesus and those inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John, have come back down the mountain guess for those disciples, maybe in a way figuratively from the mountaintop experience of the transfiguration, but for all of them, literally, they have come back down the mountain. And as they come back and rejoin the other disciples, they come across a scene here where there's conflict between the scribes and the disciples and there's something going on. And what's going on is there is a son that is pleading with them to cast a a spirit, a demon out of his son as it afflicts his son. And they are not able to do it. And look at Jesus' response in verse 19. He says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And then Jesus sees kind of this demonic spirit in action in this boy and asks how long it's been happening. And the father says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And so there we see very clearly, we we don't want to come to Jesus and say to him, if you can. Uh, I mean, look how Jesus responds. If you can, come on, anything, all things are possible for one who believes. Jesus can, there's no ifs about it. And that's where I want us to really start to think through that for ourselves and challenge ourselves. Because notice Jesus rebukes them for being a faithless generation. And we need to honestly look at our own hearts and realize many times one of the big problems is we lack faith. And Jesus also says at the end when his disciples ask him privately, "Um, Jesus, why couldn't Why couldn't we cast out this demon? He says this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And so we see kind of a link between faith and prayer. And I think that's something we'll see throughout scripture that true faith, trusting in the power of God will lead to earnest prayer. And that's where I want us to look at this passage and really examine our own faith 
in our own prayers. Because while it's one thing for us to kind of put down on paper, or I'm sure if I gave you a theology test today and I said, wait, is is God all powerful? And if, you know, Jesus, he is God. So is Jesus all powerful? Can Jesus do anything? I think if you're listening to this podcast, it's likely you're going to say yes, right? That's something that we do, I think, know in our heads. But I want us to be honest and to check our own hearts because I think we come across many situations in our lives where really we're doubting whether that's true or not. We might be able to say, I know Jesus can't, but we're having trouble really believing that in our hearts, right? When you're thinking of that relative or that loved one that you're praying for their salvation, lots of times it's easy for us to think, you know, this this probably isn't going to happen. And it's partially because we're, we're not really thinking that God can do that. When we're looking to God, to provide when we're crying out to God for revival. Uh, as we think uh, about all of that, we really uh, need to examine our own hearts and saying, am I really praying with faith that God can't? It's not a matter of if, and it's not a matter of if he can, it's a matter of if he will many times. And that's where we need to draw some distinctions in our own prayers that we should never really be coming to Jesus and saying, if you can, that that on its face shows a lack of faith. Um, the question we should be asking more is if he will. And that's where I do think we need to find more things in our prayers that we're really responding to the promises of God, saying, God, I know you can, and here in your word, you have said that you will, so now I am calling on you through prayer, earnestly, with passion, to do what I know you can do and what you have said you will do. And we want our prayer lives to kind of move more and more into that lane where we are asking God with confidence to do what he has said he is going to do. But that's where I think if we really turn the microscope on our own hearts, we're going to find that many times we're probably coming with doubt in our hearts if God really can do what he has said he can do or what he has said he will do. So I hope we're challenged by Mark chapter 9, and that really causes us to check our own faith and uh, that our prayers as a result of this passage, have a, a stronger confidence in the power of God, that we would not come in our words, or more importantly, probably in our hearts with an attitude saying to God, if you can, but that we would be those people who believe and then for which anything is possible. So that's what we see from Mark chapter 9. Now I want us to go to Psalm 62, where again, we're, we're seeing faith and prayer. And I think this uh, psalm, this song will show us an example of faithful prayer. Because clearly it seems that the psalmist is experiencing, David is experiencing trouble. And he's saying, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Well, people tend to run to the fortress when there's something going on, right? And he goes to God. And in verse 5, he says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart 
before him. God is a refuge for us. And so there the psalm gets a little more imperative. Uh, The psalm is not uh, just telling us about God. It is calling us to do something. It is telling us to trust him. It's telling us to pour out our hearts before him. Well, I think pouring out our hearts, that's an image of prayer, that we are going to God and we're going to God with an attitude of trust. And in verse 11 and 12, he says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. And so there he's clearly going with an attitude, God, not of if you can, but since you can, because I know you can, because I know that power belongs to you and so does steadfast love. So I'm calling out to you. So I want to encourage you today to take the things that are on your heart and to pour them out before God and to pour them out, not God, if you can, but God, since you can, because I know of your power, because I know of your steadfast love and that we would truly go to God with hearts that are full of faith and full of confidence in God. Now, as we look at our other passage in the Old Testament today, we're looking at 1 Samuel 18 and 19. And I think today, again, we see a very con- a big contrast between Jonathan and Saul. Uh, we saw that earlier, even in an attack of the Philistines where Saul is afraid. Saul is not doing what God told him to do. Um, but then we see Jonathan acting bravely with confidence in God. Well, today, I think the distinction we're going to see is one of selflessness and self ishness. We're here in chapter 18. We see the beginnings of the friendship between David and Jonathan. And I think we see Jonathan showing selflessness, that his soul was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan makes a covenant with David because he loved him. And he strips himself of the robe that was on him and he gives it to David and his armor and even the sword and his bow and his belt. He is giving of what is his to David because he loves David and he cares for David. But then we see Saul throughout these chapters full of jealousy, uh, full of fear, it seems, uh, really that David is going to take over the throne, which God has basically told him um, that the throne is going to be taken away from him. But still, there's fear, there is selfishness, and there is jealousy. And I want you to notice how Saul's focus on himself really consumes him, where Jonathan, this relationship that he has with David becomes something that seems to give both of them life. And I think that's what we need to realize in our own lives. When we actually do care about others and we lay our lives down for others, that's when we'll find our life to be full as well. But when we're focused on ourselves, that's not going to be rewarding. We're just going to find ourselves consumed with jealousy, with fear, uh, because we're just concerned about Ourself. So here's another way between these two chapters and all the ways we see Jonathan being loyal to David and all the ways we see Saul um, really trying to get David. Uh, we, we see that contrast and may we take that to heart in our own lives as well. Uh, finally, we wrap up today with 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 40 as we finish up this chapter. And uh, one thing just to to note in verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What is going on with there? Is this like a disclaimer that what Paul's about to say is not inspired? Well, no, I think every word of 1 Corinthians 
Seven is inspired by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy ever was a result just of man and his own ideas, but men were moved along and carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so I believe every single word of 1 Corinthians 7 is from God. So what does he mean saying when he's saying, I have no command from the Lord? Well, I think he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus said some things specifically in his time on earth about marriage. And so when he says, hey, I'm referring to something that Jesus said, a command from the Lord, I think he's just referring back to, hey, Jesus clearly addressed this. And I think what he's saying now, he's saying, well, hey, Jesus didn't speak directly to this, but I still think he is speaking as someone under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the word of God. And again, in this passage, we see some things. One, he praises really the condition of singleness and basically says those that are single are undivided in their interests, that the married person, and this is, I think, true both practically and even theologically, the married person has to think, hey, I got to take care of my spouse. I'm not just free to do whatever I want. I'm not just free to serve the Lord in whatever way I want. I need to consider uh, my family and I need to make sure I'm fulfilling even my biblical obligations to my my spouse or my family, where the single person is much more free from those concerns. So even if you are listening to this podcast and you are a single person, I would one thing I would encourage you is use your singleness to freely and with less distraction serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be really, I think, the most godly perspective on singleness, where that's where the world kind of wants to say, hey, singleness is great. You're free to do whatever you want. Well, Paul is saying, hey, singleness is great because that frees me up to do whatever God wants and frees me up to serve in ways that other people aren't able to do, whether that's just a commitment of time or even with Paul, maybe a commitment of risk that he's willing to put himself in dangerous situations that maybe he wouldn't do if uh, he was thinking of a wife or kids back home. But he does push everyone saying, hey, even if you are married, we need to think differently. And it it seems that uh, there was persecution and we should have a mindset that really, hey, the time is short. And so we need to make sure our priority is on Uh, really on Christ. And look at verse 29, very interesting uh, verse. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And that's where we need to just be careful of some worldly perspectives, right? The world wants to say, hey, singleness is great uh, because you could do whatever you want. And also in, in the worldly way of thinking, sometimes family can be the be all and end all and family can even be um, idolized where that because you know you're hey having a marriage and your perfect family that becomes kind of the ultimate goal and here we're reminded no that's not the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is serving Jesus Christ so we want to focus on serving Christ without distraction we want to serve him with selflessness and we want to serve him with faith trusting that Jesus can no ifs about it Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.